Hey, everybody. Welcome into Inside LAFC. It's Max. Uh, I know everyone's licking their wounds from the Galaxy game. I get it. I am recording this podcast on a Tuesday after Labor Day weekend. I hope everyone had a Labor Day weekend. And I know it, it probably didn't. It's really hot. You know, power rollbacks of the power and the fires. And, you know, I'm down here in Redondo. We're far from the fire and we could feel it. Came up this morning. There was ash on my car. There's ash on the street. The, the sky was yellow. So these are, it's difficult times. But I think in these difficult times, we stay together and we communicate and sending lots of love to everyone. But I'm going to keep my opening segment brief. I say that every week and they're never that brief. But uh, I do want to tell you that I'm really excited about the interview coming up. Felipe Cardenas, he's a staff writer for The Athletic. Uh, as you know, on this podcast, we've spoken to Stan Stayskull and Paul Tenorio, and they have so much information. This is an incredible development in soccer in this country that we have these insider guys like they have in the NFL and the NBA that break stories, that get you up to date with the transfer market. And individually, they're all great. And Felipe is too. And Felipe, we're going to talk about players and the transfer and the MLS marketplace. We're also going to talk about the South American player, which uh, Felipe being Colombian uh, has an invaluable uh, ability to connect with these guys. And so many times South American players and not really LAFC. And, and this was a priority when I arrived in the South American players, you know, we spoke to uh, all the folks in our, our content, uh, the branding and, and community uh, group that we need to have a pipeline, even though they may not speak English. So all the South American guys, which there are several, we need to make sure they're part of our narrative. So uh, Felipe does that on a regular basis. So I think you have, you'll be really uh, intrigued by that part of it and the pathway of the South American players as it applies to LAFC, as it applies to Major League Soccer in general, what has worked, what we need to work on as well. I'll touch a little bit now. You may be listening to this podcast after the Real Salt Lake game on Wednesday, which you can hear on YouTube TV. So we don't know the results of that yet, but... It was, it was a rough one for LAFC against the Galaxy. I don't know if there's, there's not too many positive ways to spin it. LAFC, as you know, had a great first half, unable to score. Uh, it is safe to say the Galaxy, the way they're built, are a bad matchup. You know, they play with six guys in the back all the time, and LAFC labored to find some space, find opportunities. It's, uh, you, you take your hat off for the way the Galaxy played on that day, and... Uh, complicated things for our attacking guys. Now, Carlos Vela and Eduardo Tuesta not being there are huge. I think when they return, things will be different. We can't dwell upon that. Uh, I think they'll both be back pretty soon based on the reports we are hearing. And the season is still a long way to go. Just got to make the postseason. We'll have the next group of, there's a next block of 12 games. You, they may release that information by the time you hear this podcast. I don't know it at this time. And there's a chance we'll play the Galaxy once, maybe twice again, because MLS is going to want to limit travel. And uh, that makes sense where you can actually go to a game here and it's a bus ride. So you can do that in LA. You can do that in New York. You can do that in Philadelphia, New York. You can do that in a few marketplaces in MLS. And avoiding flights, uh, avoiding long trips, that is something MLS is going to move towards. So LAFC have to pick up the pieces here. They've got to be leery of not... You know, I mean, obviously now with three losses and four, so tightly packed, you don't want to fall on the wrong side of that playoff line. And they might, and they'll have to, to battle back 
but they they'll be there. This team is too good. We've got to separate last year from this year, and it's a it's it's a different it's a different season. It's a different. Uh, LAFC now is a big old target on their back, and people have figured out some things. And Bob Bradley knows that, and he's going to uh, address them and, and try and fix them. And, and Bob, we trust, as we say. So be patient. I know you're. I know you're been out of shape. That was a that was a tough way to spend the weekend. It, it put a wet blanket on of all of our, our our Mondays at the beach or with the family at picnicking. I certainly get that. Uh, some stuff that happened afterwards, I will address later. But I'm going to say this, and you can take it in or out of context. My words in my industry, the words I use are magnified. You know, when I've worked for LAFC, if I work for ESPN, if I worked at Fox, I choose my words very wisely because it's important because the wrong set of words, especially in 2020, could uh, complicate things for you or even worse. So I know that and I don't ruffle feathers. I don't, uh, I don't attack people. And it's because I cherish my words and they were very important to me. But my words... Uh, are used in context and my words, when they're not used in context, then that's a problem because that, that's everything for me. My career, anyone else's career, what you say means everything. So those words have to remain from what I say in my context. I know it's a little confusing and I'm gonna address this a little bit more down the road, but I just wanna sh- let you know how important my words are in real time. We'll leave it at that. We'll come back here to talk to Felipe Cardenas of The Athletic. He's going to have some really interesting things to say. This is Inside LAFC. Please rate, review, and don't forget to subscribe. We are back here on Inside LAFC, and I, have com- I think I've completed the athletic hat trick now. So I ha- we had Paul Tenorio, Sam Stayskull, and now it's uh, my- an absolute honor to welcome in Felipe Cardenas, who's a staff writer with The Athletic. Welcome to the pod, Felipe. Thank you, Max. I mean, honestly, my pleasure to be on, man. And I'm looking forward to it. Oh, and always good to have the Latinos on there. And I know I was talking <laughs> to you off the air, and there was like, we have the, 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 the similar background where you were, your family's Colombian. My family was Cuban. My family spent some time in Colombia. So we have those, those, those Latin roots, and we're, we obviously identify as that. But you were born in South Bend, Indiana. I was raised in South Bend. I was raised in South Bend. Yeah. You were born in Colombia. Born in Colombia, yep. And you were raised, and I was born in Overland, Ohio. And yeah, I left. I left very early, so I yeah, feel I, I mean, feel an allegiance to you. <laughs> of course, I, I can feel it too. And, and it's not just the Latina roots. The Latina roots are clearly very important. But yeah, we we have those Midwest roots as well. Like I tell people all the time that I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in South Bend, Indiana. Such a for me, a, seemed, for so many people that don't know me well, it seems very random. But for me, it's home. And and you know, I sold programs at Notre Dame Stadium as a kid, I would sneak into games in the nineties. Uh, I would run into rocket Ismail at blockbuster video. And it was like seeing a God in person. Uh, so yeah, so that, that's, that's the Midwest basketball, football. And I did play soccer though. So, you know, give it up for Indiana soccer. Well, that makes you really identifiable. And I feel that too, you know, it's uh, and I, I it, it makes you a great person to serve in this soccer marketplace. And I'll bring you, we'll, we'll come back another time when Notre Dame plays Florida State in football. Let's, so it's on the schedule. It. And we'll, uh, we'll roll up the sleeves a little bit on that. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's, let's get into it. I, I, mean, I also, there's a lot of reasons I wanted to talk to you in a moment 
we will discuss an article you wrote about the origin of the name El Trafico, and you spoke with Richard Roscoe and uh, the folks at the Galaxy and everyone around that. So uh, we'll get to that because I think it's really interesting because it's certainly more than a name for this rivalry that has such a, a, an incredible future. Let's start, though, with, uh, you know, one thing that grabbed my attention. It's the, the MLS Marketplace. Uh, you are part of breaking the story for Piti Martinez going to Al Nasser uh, for the price. Just an overall, how have you, how have you view the MLS marketplace uh, in general and in the time of COVID where you know, obviously things are changed. There's guys here that are going to be going. You know, Alpha, you know the, the MLS players, I feel, are way undervalued. So how do you see uh, this developing as we hopefully emerge from the times that we're in right now? I mean, it's definitely evolving. And I think we can start pre-COVID. So pre-COVID, uh, yeah, you mentioned Alfonso Davies. He's a big sale. Miguel Amarone. You know, for, for, for Atlanta, for, for Atlanta United, Miguel Amarone was like that proof of concept. He's the, the young South American player. Not super young. I think he was 23, 24 when he came over. But already uh, scouted by European clubs. And he come, instead of jumping to Arsenal, where he would have definitely been fighting for minutes, fighting for time, you know, he takes this opportunity to come to Atlanta United, clearly because Tasa Martino is here, who's a legend in Paraguay after guiding that country to the quarterfinals at the 2010 World Cup. So, like, he gets sold to Newcastle United, Miguel Almiron, and all of a sudden, this new era, the, the MLS 3.0 era, officially begins. And, and it, it, it's about building team, expansion teams uh, to succeed right away. It's about finding young players instead of the players that come, you know, kind of looking for to settle down and, and, and start retirement. And then eventually you develop these players and sell them off. And so I honestly believe that MLS 3.0 before COVID, it was like, it was getting exciting. There was buzz, players were moving on. Uh, the players that were coming through were, were, were delivering here in MLS. And now with COVID, you know, I don't think we know how it's going to officially affect the market. Um, you know, with the PT Martinez transfer, clearly that's, an example of there are a few markets right now that are willing to drop $18 million, $18 million on, on an MLS player. I mean, I think eventually Ezekiel Barco is going to be a big transfer, but for PT Martinez, 27, who did not really live up to the hype and still Atlanta United is able to make some profit off that sale. I think it shows that still around the world, and it doesn't have to be Europe, there are markets that are looking at MLS, looking at the talent, and trying to make a deal, trying to make big deals for their own clubs as well. So, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be difficult, but I think that is like a promising silver lining that, that perhaps it's not Europe and it's the Middle East, but there, there are still markets that are looking at MLS teams and saying, hey, let's go in and, and show them the money and perhaps get some good players. I'll, you are based in Atlanta, so you have a, 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 a certainly a, a pipeline there for, for the news there. And uh, as you mentioned Barco, as, as I brought up Piti Martinez and you brought up Miguel Almiron, uh, as it applies to LAFC, because this is, uh, they, they kind of followed a similar direction, uh, finding these young, uh, Atlanta, they were a little bit older. I think LAFC went with some younger players, but how do you see that pipeline developing? It's, it's been good. It's had some speed bumps in the case of uh, Atlanta with, you know, Piti Martinez, which in the end, they, to make a small profit is, is a real win. You don't go into the, into the red at all with that. And LAFC is doing it. They've done really well, but these guys are young and there is, you know, they, they, there's, there, there's no hiding behind this. They're, they want to be a selling club. They want to get these guys to go to, to Europe. And these guys, 
and I've spoken to a lot of them. They are, their goal is to get to Europe, whether it's a Diego Rossi or Eduardo Tuesta. So that pipeline, how, how have you seen it working for those two clubs? And, you know, even Minnesota and some others are starting to follow suit and finding some success as well. I think, first of all, LAFC and Atlanta United, there are so many parallels. I see them. I mean, they're big clubs. They're, they're two of the biggest clubs in Atlanta United, or I'm sorry, in MLS. But, and they have similar, their trajectories are similar. Now, I think Atlanta United right now is dropping off. Like they had, they hit their high. They won the MLS cup in in 2018. There's this big overhaul of the roster. A new manager comes in. It doesn't work out. And they're now they're trying to kind of climb their way back. But if you remember the first, I think one of the first games that they played against LAFC, Atlanta United beat them five, nothing uh, here. I I, I call that game. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy to think about that. It is insane to think about that considering where the two clubs are at the moment. Uh, but yeah, I think perhaps the parallels other than the fact that they're, they're following similar models of, of bringing in young South American players. It looks like LAFC is being a little bit more patient and and perhaps it's to your point that they're bringing in players that are a little bit younger, you know, 21, 22, that they can stay here a little bit longer. They can develop. I mean, you have a great manager and Bob Bradley as well, probably the best manager in the States, in the league by far. And so there's that there's that part of the development process that they truly believe in. Atlanta United, I feel like they accelerated everything and they wanted to get Miggy Almiron out of here quickly. They wanted to make that sale. They wanted to prove that concept. Uh, COVID has delayed a lot of those plans for them. Now, you know, they're, they're waiting to see what to do with Ezekiel Barco is now the right time to the wait for, until the winter. Uh, but you're going to continue to see that, you know, Minnesota, you brought them up, you know, uh, Babelo Reynoso was, is in Argentina considered what they call una joya, you know, the, a jewel of, that you find. But he didn't deliver for Boca for so many reasons that you can jump on YouTube and find those, those, those shows where they, Argentines are just yelling at each other about uh, soccer in Argentina. And a lot of them think that, you know, he didn't play. He was a practice player. He didn't get time under Barça Escaloto. But here he comes to MLS and he's going to show out. And so I think the players, and you mentioned it, Max, like you've, you've spoken to them, I've spoken to players, and I think they understand that MLS is a showcase. It is a showcase for them that if they can develop and they can play well and they're in a system uh, that, that elevates their game, and I think that's key because they come here, a lot of them come here from South America and they're putting their names on the line, their reputations on the line, because in South America, they're like, why are you going to MLS? Uh, but if they believe in the project here, I think they will excel and you're going to, I think LAFC is just one, one news day away from once again, proving that uh, players can come here, can do well and can move on for big money moves. I mean, you know, Diego Rossi clearly is, is that next guy, but I believe Edward Atuesta can, can definitely play in Europe. He's a different kind of, of, I guess, player profile that's coming out of MLS. Um, but I think there are players behind him. Ginella, Cifuentes, like all these players that are just like, they're so good. They're so young. They're so experienced too. So that's going to play a role as well. Where is it? The, these, these players would have gone somewhere if they hadn't come to MLS. Probably in all likelihood at 21, 22, 23, not going to stay in South America. You know, I, I think or Chiqui Palacios, he was playing in Dutch football. So are those the destinations they would have gone to and instead said, all right, this MLS because of playing in the United States has its, its clout be because you could put your name uh, as you could be the star player and you know you're all the little things maybe you're a little bit closer to home maybe you there's there's a hispanic communities here uh, who do you think 
who is missing out maybe in Europe where they're not, where players like this are coming to analyze? Obviously Mexico is a candidate too, but it, it almost seems like many of these big European clubs that may have their eyes on some of these guys would say, all right, let's see how they do here before we make that investment. You know, I think the player representatives, like the agents, would love to move those players immediately to Europe. And I think the players themselves probably think, yes, you know, they want to get a, they want to get to Europe. I mean, in South America, especially Argentina and Uruguay, Serie A is like is is I think it's a, a more popular league even than than the EPL and the Premier League. I mean, for since the eighties and nineties, that was one of the top leagues in the world, and so many Uruguayan and Argentinian players would just e- immediately jump to to Italy. Uh, and so even though I, I, I said, and I believe this, and I've heard players tell me this, that they believe MLS is an opportunity for them to, to showcase their talents. I mean, and you mentioned that they can be a star. I agree. I think the league itself could do a better job of promoting those players and, and really making these young South Americans stars in this country, in this hemisphere. And it can't just be. And keep uh, them a little longer. And keep them a little longer, yeah. I mean, Joseph Martinez is like this strange case where, like, he wants to stay. Like, he's a guy that's like, I have, you know, planted my flag here. I love the city. They love me. Uh, I've been to Europe. He can play in Europe, clearly, but he wants to stay. And, and that won't always happen. But, you know, I think if the league focuses a little bit more on those players uh, and, and how to market them a little bit better, you know, I think the benefits will, will, they will benefit both the player and the league. So, uh, but again, like a player like Ginella, for instance, Francisco Ginella, a player that I really like, just so classy on the ball. Like when I was, the MLS's back tournament was great for all of us because we were able to cover all these different teams, not just the teams we cover in the, in our local markets. And we're on these Zoom calls. And I remember I asked Francisco Ginella a question about, you know, the fact that he's playing for this club that, the whole idea is, is for you to play well and go to Europe. And what is that like? What, what is that type of pressure like? And immediately he just spoke like a, a seasoned veteran, you know, like that's what they, <laughs> these guys have been, these guys have been talking like professional soccer players since they were 10 years old. You know, they know how to answer the questions. They almost like have a script, but you could see that if, if he were unfiltered, he would say, of course we want to get to Europe, but they, I mean, in LAFC's case, they want to win a title first. Like that, the players know that they're bought into that. So uh, that'll be part of these equations as well. Like, is is your is your project really successful if you're just moving players on for big money, but you're not winning? You know, I think the the clubs will argue no. They want to win titles as well. But uh, yeah, I think they will continue to look at these markets like England and, and Italy. But they're going they're going to look at MLS as a place where I know I'm going to play here. I know I'll play they immediately realize it's not easy. It's physical. There are good teams that tactically the, the league is advancing. And so they have to think they have to play and they'll grow. I mean, I think that's going to help the league in the long run. All the guys that I deal with LAFC and I, and I know from our club's perspective, we, we do our best to, to interview them. We have uh Javrina Catalina who does our pregame show. She's done sit downs with all of them because uh, you know, his Latin players, Hispanic players are a mystery because a lot of them don't speak the language. That said, you know, the guys at LAFC, Pancho speaks English, Diego Rossi speaks English, the other guys are learning along the way, and uh, it's important to them. And to your point, it's these guys, I mean, sometimes you got to, I don't think we cut them a break. We go, here he comes, or 21, or 20. You know, they're long, they're far away from home, and they're adjusting really well. I know Sifu, we, I spoke to him, and he's, 
you know, he's during COVID, he's saying, yeah, I got a little depressed. I was away from my family. I lived by myself. I'm like, wow, what a, what a sacrifice. Yet they still roll along. And I think it says a lot about the clubs. I'm very proud about the way LFC is, has, uh, you know, managed, you know, almost like parents sometimes with these guys. But it's, uh, we, we almost forget what, what these guys, the sacrifices they are doing and what uh, the risk almost they're, they're taking by coming here and then as their first stop or maybe their final stop, who knows, uh, before they take off to uh, other things. But I've been really impressed with them. And I think to your point about um, marketing them as from a league perspective is really that undiscovered country we have to tackle a little bit. I totally agree. And, and, I, and I remember this is, I wrote a story about this when PT Martinez wins that Copa Libertadores in Madrid in 2018. You know, it was a fiasco. They had to move it from Argentina because of the violence. They play in Madrid. They win. River play beats Boca Juniors 3-1. P.T. Martinez scores the third goal, like an empty net, but it's still, to River play fans, it's like one of the most iconic goals in their history. Immediately in the mix zone, he's asked about the match, and then an Argentine reporter literally just asked him, like, why are you going to America? It was like, what are you doing? You know, Mm -hmm. and so... You know, he understood it. He answered it really well, PT. He's like, you know, this, there's a club that believes in me there. And, and clearly he wanted to get to Europe. But they, it's true. They come here. And I think PT is an important case point because he finally told us before COVID, it was February during CONCACAF Champions League, that his head was not in the right place his first year. He struggled to adapt. He got here, uh, didn't have a full preseason you know, I think even the city of Atlanta, even though it's a great city, it's not South America. It's like just a huge change for your lifestyle, for, for his wife, for his child. So many factors that they have to, to deal with. And I know that, like, like you mentioned, LAFC, I know Atlanta and Inter-Miami, just two of the clubs that I tend to work with more closely. I know that during this period of time, especially with the MLS back tournament, they had they literally had teams within that club taking care of the players' families. They had dog walkers, okay? Like, the young players get here and they buy dogs. They, they adopt dogs right away. They don't have kids, <laughs> but they get a puppy. And then all of a sudden, they have to go to Orlando for 45 days. And, you know, I knew about clubs that were, like, hiring dog walkers to do that. And so I think especially now, and you brought this up, like, during COVID, it's been so tough for these players, man. It's been so tough to be away from their families and the way that the, the pandemic is dealt with and reported with and, and in South America is much different than the way it is here in the States. In South America, it's, they, they're very conservative about how they've dealt with it. They've been very pragmatic. They've been, people put their masks on, they lock down. And, they're, and the South Americans find themselves in this country in the U.S. where things are a little bit, are, are much different. And so all those factors are playing in their minds and they need to go out and perform. So I've noticed it in some performances. You can see players aren't completely there. Their heads aren't there. It's tough, man. It's tough to just start, stop all the time. But I think once we get past this, uh, they'll be stronger for it. And we've brought it up. I think there's going to be an opportunity to, to talk to these players, which is what I love to do, just giving them a voice and, and, and hearing their stories. It's important work, Felipe. I, I got to say, <laughs> and, and when you mentioned marketing these guys, uh, I think a lot of them, everyone wants to just play football. They want to play and they want to do that. And, you know, the media side of it, 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 it will take them away a bit, but it's part, of the, it's part of the package, really. So how do we market them a little better? I, I, I was always, I've always been, I, there was a time uh, and when if there was a Spanish speaking, and we have some really impressive Spanish speaking, not just players, but managers, 
uh, with Tata, for instance. And then mm -hmm. there was a moment where these guys were never interviewed after games, and then it happened. Uh, there was a Spanish speaker on the on the on the TV crew, and uh, we would we would where there was something where nothing was ever. We never heard what was going on in their mind. All of a sudden we did. And it was like this eureka moment. Uh, you know, Matias Almeida is another one. So mm -hmm. obviously getting, putting a microphone and getting their thoughts more frequently and having translators is one thing. But any other ideas on how to market it the right way where they can bridge the gap to not just the, the huge Latin uh, audience that we have in this country, but the non-Latin one that it's, these players are still pretty mysterious to them. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I have the solution, but I, I agree that the, the audience here, you have, you know, the, you have the Spanish-speaking first-generation Latino audience here in the U.S. You have bicultural Latinos that consume media in both languages that that watch their that watch their soccer. They tend to watch their soccer in Spanish, probably. Uh, but they and MLS is like this league that they want to get into. They're not sure about. And, and, and you say they, speak, they their first language is Spanish, but they they speak English too, so they have an understanding. Totally, most of them. Yeah, yeah, and they're kids, and now they have kids that are growing up as as English speakers, uh, but identify as Latino, identify as bicultural, and and their perhaps their father, or their mother, their uncle, grandfather is like you. You will follow my footsteps and be a fan of Chivas or be a fan of Boca Juniors, and that's what you're going to watch. But MLS needs to be like, how do I get those kids and perhaps even younger to be like, no, I'm an LAFC fan. I am an Atlanta United fan. I, this is my shirt. Uh, that is, that's the step. And it's not going to happen in the next few years. It, it literally is a process, but that's what the league and the teams have to focus on. And, and, you know, I spoke with Sebastian Blanco, the Portland Timbers uh, playmaker. And, and we talked about that, you know, how, you know, he's a San Lorenzo diehard. In, in Argentina, he ended up playing for that club and it was a big moment. And, you know, he, he comes to the States and it's like, you know, here the fans are like, you're the fans of the Patriots, they're fans of this team, they're fans of the NBA. It's different. It's just different. You know, like there's so many competing leagues and sports here. It's not the same for a kid, you know, in Argentina, you watch a game and there's like a three-year-old in the stands, like chanting, you know, <laughs> he knows the words to the chants. So, you know, how does MLS get there? It's going to be tough, but I think there's, like you said, there's a huge opportunity to, to, to market to those fans. There's a lot on the plate for American sport fans. Like I know growing up and you probably yeah. did the same thing. I got to have a hockey team. I got to have a baseball mm -hmm. team. I got an NBA team, an NFL team, college football. <laughs> and then you go, I don't know, where, where's the time? Where's it? But in, yeah. in these places, it's very simple. He goes, Sebastian Blanco goes, oh, that's San Lorenzo. And, and what else? No, that's it. That's, that's it. That's it. That's, that's his team. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like it. I like things to be so simple. <laughs> I wish. I wish. I mean, my, my wife tells deep. me all the time. Yeah, on Saturdays during the fall, my wife's like, why do you care so much? Why, do you, why does college football put you in a bad mood or put you in a good mood? It's like, <laughs> I don't know. It just, it, that's what I grew up with, okay? <laughs> so yeah. whatever. That's how it is. By the way, also passing on the, the passing on your favorite fan to your kid is is is, is a little more difficult than I, I thought. I have a friend who has, he's a Philadelphia fan. He dresses them all up in Philadelphia. You're like, well, what are you doing? Goes, you don't live in Philadelphia. He goes, doesn't matter. I go, all right. And the kids, they, they, and to add to the kids, the kids see that from their parents. They want to they want to share those yeah. moments. So I'm just jealous because my son doesn't really like sports, but uh, I'll keep ah. to him. He does have his LAFC gear. He's loyal to them. I hear you. I mean, my son's seven or he just turned eight and he's into the sport, but he has so many different interests, art, drawing, reading, video games, whatever it may be. And every once in a while, he's like, he sees me watching that line United game and I'm covering it. Like he's now understood that it's my job to watch soccer. He thinks that's cool, 
but his interests are just like, are they winning? Okay, great. And then he's out. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Yeah. I like how video games for your son was a little further down after art and drawing. <laughs> I, go, I was like so jealous of that. I'm like, art and drawing. Usually most kids' video games won, but they do enjoy it, and you've got to show they them there. Uh, it's interesting when you bring up Sebastian Blanco, and you know, I always think about Diego Valeri, too. When he came over, he, wasn't, he, he, he played, he had a shot in Europe, did well. He was a legend in Argentina with Lanús, maybe, and... I don't think that he was ever going to come here. I remember when the signing happened, it was a big deal because I knew who this guy was. And I think he was mid-20s. And it wasn't going to probably get sold to Europe, possibly if he blew it up. But here was a case of a guy who got really comfortable in his surroundings. And, you know, you talk to him. He's like, no, MLS, it's been great to me. I want to do it. And I, and I think, you know, that messaging uh, could trickle down. I, I, I would imagine because of the treatment a lot of these guys get here, it's really good. I don't know how it happens in Italy or in Mexico or, or Spain, but they see this as their first experience. They go, this was good. I enjoyed it, and my loyalties are to it. Do you think we'll see more of that? Yeah, I think it's, it's great that you bring that up because I, I, the last piece that I wrote for The Athletic was a feature on Sebastian Blanco, 1v1 that I did with him, which I invite everyone to read. It's not a Portland Timber story. It, it truly is a football story. Because this guy's history is nuts, man. Like, he played in Ukraine. He played in the Europa League, was in the middle of qualifying for Champions League. And the war, a war broke out between the Ukraine and Russia. Um, and But in that, in that interview, when I talked to him about, like, what, what is it that gets these guys like you that are used to playing at the highest level that come from a culture where MLS or soccer in North America seems, you know, there's a stigma about it. Like, what gets you here? And he brought up, a lot of conversations with Diego Valeri because they played together at Lanús. Um, and, and like to your point, Valeri is like this spokesperson, this ambassador now for the league because he does, he truly does believe in it. And I think there are so many other factors that are involved, like just quality of life. Uh, they, they know they're going to be in a secure environment. They understand that they're trying to grow this league. But I think when they get here and they realize, I think the, the game changer for them is they get here and they realize okay, we, you have, you have to play, like you have to be able to play like, yeah. or else you're, you're out. Like there are young players coming in. There's a, there's a, they understand the model. Like Blanco talked to me about the model of young players coming and then being sold to Europe. And for a guy like him, who's 27, 28, it's like, you know, you better show up and play because the 21, 22 year old is like, he'll just bump you out of your spot and, and start. So they get that. And I think that's, that's what perhaps their cultures aren't understanding yet. Um, but, but I know that they enjoy their time here, you know, like Lander Gonzalez Perez, another player that I covered, like when I would cover him in Atlanta, he was, he was like this spokesperson for the league, understanding that yes, in my country, it's frowned upon. Maybe we won't get the chances we wanted with the national team if we would have stayed, but we understand what we're doing here. We understand that this is, it's, it's bigger than us. Uh, and I think that deserves a lot of respect. That, that, that one sentence you hit, you know, hit me like a, a fist that playing here is kind of frowned upon, which is just, uh, it's ludicrous, but I, I understand. And I think we're in a process where we have to break through this, but it takes time where MLS as a league will get these guys chances to uh, play for their national team, that playing in MLS will not diminish their market value um, moving forward. You know, Alfonso Davies, uh, 11 million, I believe, for, mm -hmm. for Bayern Munich at the time seemed like right. And this it was always his path. This guy was just too good of a player. So you're not just selling him to Europe. You're selling him to best currently the best club in Europe. Uh, his value now is 
60, 70, 80 million. But yeah, and I understand that transition. I'm not, it, but maybe we can close that gap a little bit where it's a little more realistic, but that could be a, a discussion uh, for another time. But, uh, you know, with the, and, and this is an LAFC pod and the Valetti comment, and I, I don't want to talk about Portland too much, but I, I bring them up because maybe a Diego Rossi, stays here and years from now he is that spokesperson and, you know by the way maybe valetti could have a, we could create a position for him and he's like this south american uh czar or whatever that kind of champions those causes for the south american players and why this league's so great there that role exists in at clubs in south america it's like you're you become this ambassador for this club and you travel the world and you sell both the club and the league and, and essentially you're also shining a light on on the players that these European clubs could potentially come in after uh, you know I, I agree it's an LAFC pod so like well then let's talk about Edward Atuesta because I, I sat I had a call with him a few months ago I wrote a story about him uh, which I think proves a lot of what we're saying you know Edward Atuesta isn't a goal scorer he that and that's the money maker in this league. That's, that's the, that's the guy that every team in this league is trying to find. Who's the next Joseph Martinez who can score 25 goals a game. And in my opinion, Edward Twista is like the definition of the type of player that doesn't score, but can change the game, elevate the game. When you watch him play, you're like, like, I mean, not perhaps not Alfonso Davis level, but you're kind of like, this guy is like pretty good for this league. Like clearly he's classy on the ball. Very, you know, very finessed in, in, in his possession, he, very smart. And so the story that I wrote, it's like, here's an example of a guy that comes over and gets better, pr- improves his game, evolves his game, changes the way that he plays the central midfield position. And it's because of the staff at LAFC. It's because of, of, of Bob Bradley and their plans for what they want this club's identity to be. So I thought it was a, a great to hear that from a South American saying, like I got better here. I changed, it changed the way I saw the game. Not just that I improved it, it's changed the way he saw the game. Uh, and he was playing in Colombia. He wants, he plays, he's the captain of th- their U20 team. So this is a guy with a, with a huge future and he's here in MLS getting better and not just getting better because he's playing all the time, tactically getting better. So that, that's a great example. And I think clubs will start to see those certain positions that it's not just the goal scores. Like if you want to, in this league, it's so hard. You're talking to about MLS clubs, who yes. they're going to bring over. Okay. Yeah, I think I think Edward Atuesta is a type of player that other teams will look at and say, "Yeah, how, how do I get a player like that? How do we change the way we we play forward? How do we play attacking soccer and not just focus on the front three? Uh, and so Edward Atuesta, to me, I think when he eventually moves on, and I think we agree he will. He told me he that's his plan. Uh, he will also leave his mark as the type of cerebral midfielder that can change games and elevate the league. Felipe, I, I, I wish I used those words to describe it. That was perfect <laughs> because this league, you know, it's, it, it is a dilemma. Go, we got to get those goal scores. And this is but that, and we're not talking about defenders. We're not talking about uh, goalkeepers. This is a guy who is, you know, back of the midfield still is an attacking option because of set pieces and connecting to the, the forwards. But it makes a lot of sense. And those guys are out there. And in a marketplace, they're valuable because those kind of players are really valuable. In mm-hmm. Europe, everyone needs that kind of guy who is your yes. midfielder, who's your know, box-to-box guy who does so well. So I'm glad you said that. You really nailed that on the, nailed that on the head. I might, I might steal that when I talk to some of the LA. Take it. <laughs> Take it. It's all yours, man. Oh, 
Good stuff. I, I was afraid we'd go down the rabbit hole too far here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot real quickly and talk about the, the article about El Trafico, even though I know I could sit here and talk about this for another hour with you. Because it, it's, it, it's, it's fascinating and it's the transition that our league is going through. And to your point, we've had a lot of success stories. You know, Almiron developed here. Atuesta was a, uh, a good prospect, but now he is an, an excellent prospect. Uh, Diego Rossi was really well regarded, but he's taken that next step developing his game. And this is, this is coaching in MLS with these, with these coaches in Atlanta. And, you know, you know, in Miami, Diego Alonso's really well regarded guy. Adrian Heath is putting some good stuff together and there's going to be more and more coaches uh, that could give those guys that first rate uh, ability to improve their game. And coaches are going to continue to come here from, I think, South America. You mentioned Almeida before, Tata Martino, you know, now Barros Escaloto, Diego Alonso, who was in Liga MX, but Terry Henry. Terry Henry. I mean, these guys see an opportunity here. They know that it's serious too. Okay. Frank DeBoer lasted 19 months, a big name hire, you know, now we look back and, and we understand that it was a misstep. Alain and I did not get that higher right, considering the culture that they had established, the identity that they had established. And now the world is watching. I think that's the one thing that MLS, I think the casual MLS fan doesn't, doesn't see. Like those decisions, everyone notices now. Because if you want to be a big club in MLS, everything is scrutinized, even when you're, being, even when you're successful and you're winning. Uh, but, but yes, that influence from South America and, and because of what happened in Atlanta United before Frank DeVore was hired, I'm like, I remember I wrote about it, like they need to go back to South America, follow, continue that identity, uh, that Tata Martino had established. There are coaches around, around that region that kind of had the same beliefs, play, you know, coach the same way. And I think those coaches are going to continue to be candidates for jobs in MLS, especially with expansion. Now we have new teams coming in that are going to be looking to, not everyone, but I think they, some, some of the more ambitious expansion sides will look at LAFC, look at Atlanta, eventually look at what Miami wants to do and say, we want to be that type of club. How do we immediately engage our community? How do we win immediately? How do we gain respect? And you need a coach. Coaching is so important, uh, especially in a league that is so even through, from top to bottom. Sometimes that's the difference, just players believing in their coach. And so... Uh, clearly that you, you're seeing that in, in LAFC, Atlanta wants to get back to that. And even though Inter-Miami struggled and, and they had the worst start for any expansion side, when I cover them, I, that, I tend to see that and say that. This is not a good start. This is the worst start that they could have possibly imagined. But you can see that this team has a style. They believe in their coach. And, and, and it's all about that right hire. You've got to nail that hire. And coaches want to come here because they're empowered. Yeah. Uh, football operation guys, general managers, those kind of folks. Uh, this is a very desirable league to them. And, you know, that brings a lot of clout into it. Let's talk about El Trafico as, it, as what, <laughs> what compelled you? What did you see to say, I've got to write something like this? Uh, because, you know, it is confused. People, you know, tread lightly when they, <laughs> they address it. So what, what drew you into uh, tackling this as a, as a topic? Well, I remember before, first of all, personally, I've just, always struggled to to accept it as like a really cool name like i understand the arguments about oh felipe like I, I see it in my comments i see it on twitter felipe like let us have our fun it's mls it's soccer in the U, in the u.s it's like that's where it comes from and i totally get that uh i, I just and, and i mentioned the story like as a spanish speaker as a bicultural latino as someone that follows the world game and, and grew up on south american football 
I, I struggled to see how a name that does, doesn't make sense, doesn't translate to anything really, elevates a rivalry. Uh, and so in our Slack at The Athletic, like we're constantly just like, there's lots of banter in that Slack between the writers. And w- before the MLS is back tournament, a, a bunch of writers decided to get together and write a story about like what to expect. Like what is this tournament going to be like? And it was Sam Stage, Golnai, Matt Pence, Jeff Reuter. And we were all working on one Google Doc and just kind of writing and, and sharing ideas. And when we got to the group where the Galaxy and LAFC were in, uh, Sam Stachel wrote in the story, he mentioned El Trafico, and it was kind of like an oral history type setup. So you could see Stachel and his opinion. And then right below his was me. And I wrote, Sam, don't call it El Trafico. Uh, and it was kind of like a joke, like he, he knew where it was coming from. And so we took that and some people commented in our next editorial meeting, I, I bring it up and my editor's like, Felipe, why don't you just write it? Just write about it. You know, like, see what, you know, see if, if anyone agrees with you. Uh, and, and speaking of Edward Atuesta, that he was the first interview that, that I did for that. Very, that was very powerful. And that really yes. fixed a lot of people's opinions on the name. And it was, that was my aha moment. Cause I interviewed him. Like the, the, the El Trafico story was like a developing idea. I'd already talked to my editors about it and it was happening, but I had that that interview with Edward Atuesta already scheduled and we're getting to the end of the interview. At this point we've covered everything. We're kind of just like, you know, chatting about soccer, about life. And I'm like, hey, let me ask you something, Edward. Like, what do you think of the rivalry name El Trafico? And you see it in the story. He was like, he thinks it's ridiculous. He, he doesn't get it. Like he, and, and it's like <laughs> in the interview, you can see him say, oh, okay, like he kind of accepts it. And then he just backtracks right away. He's like, no, 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 this is, it's terrible. Like we need to change it. There's still time. And that's when I knew that I had a story that, that if, if a player that is involved in this and it is a heated rivalry. The games, in my opinion, the rivalries are decided by the players. And these players on both sides have established that they don't like each other, that this is the biggest game of the year. And so I knew I had a story. And then it just became like, how do I balance it out? So it's not just my opinion. And that's when I got hooked up with Rich Roscoe. I talked to Brendan Hannon at the Galaxy. And, and I think we all knew that it was going to be pretty polarizing, that people would have opinions. So, I mean, and that's what it turned out to be. Yeah. My the problem with El Trafico now, and it, it still can, and, and, you know, Carlos Vela, when he mentioned the guys playing in Orlando against the Galaxy, called it the Clásico Angelino. I've been running with that because it makes sense because that's, you know, that's what they call it in South America. El Clásico mm-hmm. Tapatio in, uh, in, in, Guadala- in Guadalajara or uh, El Clásico Rosarino when Newells plays Rosario Central. So I go, that plays, that plays out well with all of it. But it's gone out of the barn and you know it's so far out of the bar the horse is so far out of the barn that you know people are referring to it and it gets a lot of clicks because it's easy to say uh and the all of those things i think are positive you want a rivalry name that people remember there's no doubt about el trafico you go bam you know what they're talking about but you know if it's if i can't speak for the galaxy supporters but the lafc supporters are don't don't like it. And I, res- I honor that. And when the players do, that's like, you know, that's two strikes. So maybe you only need two strikes in this case. So uh, it, it's, it's a tricky situation. I speak to Rich about it a lot and I'm on board with him. You know, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to push against it and I'm going to, I'm going to accept a different name, but I don't know how, uh, how effective it will be. Uh, but we will see. Do you think there's a, a way where enough, enough momentum can kind of change, stem the tide a little bit? 
I mean, it depends on who you talk to. Rich was very convincing. Rich Roscoe was very <laughs> convincing. When I hung up with him, I was well, like, welcome okay. Welcome to my world. <laughs> I was like, all right, this guy, you know, he was just, you know, he sold it. He sold it to me. He had me believing that in the end, it, the rivalry will not be called El Trafico. And then I make another phone call and I talk with Brennan Han at the Galaxy. And I'm like, okay, now I think maybe not. Uh, Mark Rojas during the draw. Um, during the MLS's back draw, that was another moment when I saw someone who was clearly well-respected within the LAFC community saying, please don't call it that. And I'm like, first thing he said, okay. <laughs> yeah, he's like, please, like that was his response. He even told me during the interview, he's like, I hope I didn't come off as like, you know, uh, as aggressive or anything. I'm like, no, it was all good, but you, you spoke to me. And so uh, it, it really depends because you made the great point that for someone that doesn't speak Spanish, they just get it. They understand it. They probably think it makes sense. And, and it's easy to say. Uh, but for those of us that I think respect what a rivalry moniker can become and what, what the significance of that is, and there is creativity behind us. Like every rivalry has a great name. Some of them don't make sense in other parts of the world. But uh, the, the one point that Richard Osco made that I, that I, that I really understood was if if you truly believe in that, that type of approach for a rivalry, are you, are you further advancing the game here in the States or is it just supposed to be very like an Americanized type of thing? If that's the case, that, that's fine. Uh, but, but time will tell because clearly there are two sides to this, two very powerful sides in, in the galaxy and LAFC, two fan bases that, that believe in this. And, you know, for someone that, I went to college in Southern California. I played soccer at Cal State San Bernardino. I, I lived in LA for almost two years and I went to some Galaxy games. So like when Carlos Vela says El Clásico Angelino, I totally get it. I lived in LA. I know everyone in LA hears that and it's like, I got it. Even if you don't speak Spanish, you just understand. Does someone in Minnesota or Iowa understand that? Probably not. And so that's, that's, the, that's the audience that you need to captivate. And you know, I know LA Classico, I think, is an easy one to say, and it makes a lot of sense. But truly, this is a developing story, as we say. <laughs> I'm good with anything as long as it hasn't got the word Darby in it, because I don't think that's... <laughs> I mean, everyone says Darby. I go, well, no one's ever used yeah. Darby. Not in Los Angeles. Darby, yeah. maybe. I don't know. I just, but it, we, we, we certainly can uh, we'll pick this up another time. Felipe... Uh, again, I could go on more. You're a beautiful speaker, communicator. Uh, you. I, I, you, I walk away from our interview a little smarter too, which, you know, in my old age is hard to do. Uh, so <laughs> I, I certainly appreciate it, man. And by the way, I saw on your, on your, your Twitter timeline, Lee Wynn is going back to New England. So Lee Wynn has been traded, yes, to New England uh, for, I believe, 50000 k in allocation money and then maybe a, a draft, like a fourth-round draft pick. You know, don't quote me, but I think that's it. I, 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 listen, I think he's a good player. I'm sure LAFC fans remember him fondly, a creative midfielder, do. very good on the ball, set pieces are his thing. Edward Twesta talked to me about that when he, when he was in Colombia, I'll, I'll, I'll end here. Like Edward Twesta, he played with Juanfer Quintero, who's, you know, a river plate playmaker now has moved on to China and a guy, a Colombian named Mao Molina, and they were both lefties and they could just crush free kicks all day. And so Edward Atresta had to wait in line, could never take free kicks, gets to, gets to L.A., and he tells me, then I get to L.A., and I've got Lee Wynn and Carlos Vela. But at that time, he was like, okay, I need to step up, and you have to, you have to fight for that opportunity. You've got to grab the ball. You have to sell your, make your case. But he mentioned Lee Wynn as a guy that could really hit, could ping those balls in practice and do it in game day. So 
Yeah, I think I think Blas Matuidi, the signing for Inter Miami, really didn't help Lee win, who was fighting for minutes there. And clearly that signing a World Cup winner meant that he was probably going to have to find some options. So it goes back to New England. I think he really wanted out of New England too. So that's, that's he did. kind of a tough... Well, it's different coaching. And obviously Bruce sure. Arena probably made a big deal. And I like the player. And, and you know, player, right. I think we always think, oh, he was in LA and he's mine. Now he's got to go back to New England. You know, it's not Boston. He probably lived there. But when you get to play a little bit, that kind of smooths out everything else. So I hope he, hope he gets that opportunity. Totally. And you're right. It's a new, it's a different New England team. They're, they're better. You know, Bruce has them playing. I think, you know, they're very a Bruce arena side, but I think Bruce arena recognized in quality. He's got Carlos Hill, a very a playmaking creative midfielder, and he plays them all the time. He understands that that type of player can do. So it could be a good opportunity for, for Lee. We need to get Juan fair, by the way, here at MLS oh, at some point. Love oh, that goodness. guy. Felipe. Amazing. Fantastic. Appreciate your time. And uh, you're making my podcast, our podcast here at LFC better is, uh, is much appreciated. So thanks again. Anytime, man. It was my pleasure for real. And, and to all the LAFC fans, what up? Stay up. Okay. Felipe, Felipe Cardenas of The Athletic, a staff writer. Uh, we, we really enjoy what The Athletic does. And these guys know their stuff. So follow Felipe on all his social handles and handles and, and subscribe to The Athletics. One of the first things I do every morning to check all the great articles and stuff. And it's really MLS specific in a lot of ways, which we really enjoy. And make sure you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast here on Inside LAFC. And we'll be back very soon. Let's go LAFC.